And Father, tonight we come before you because we know that you are worthy of our praise, that you are the great and glorious God who has given us life and put us here in this world, in this place. And Father, we come to you tonight to sing your praise, to to say that you are worthy, that you have value and you have meaning. That's what we do when we praise. We give you value and we give you worth. Father, the Bible uses the word holy to describe your worth, meaning that you are complete, you are whole, you don't need anything beyond yourself, Father. But when we look at our own lives in contrast, we see that we are needy. We see that we do struggle. We see that we do make mistakes. The Bible calls that sin. And the Bible tells us that if we can just simply go to you, seeing your worth for what it is, putting all our cards on the table, that you are willing to forgive us of all the mistakes and all the struggles that we have. So we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to go to you and ask for forgiveness for anything in our life that doesn't need to be there. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually now. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to, as we go through life, that we are able to live our life differently, that we are not able to, not, we don't have to be the only one out there struggling, that you desire to struggle along with us, Father, that you desire to constantly redeem and rework our lives so that our lives are characterized more by you than by our own mistakes and our own foolishness. Father, we pray tonight that you would allow that to happen in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to comfort us and to show us the direction that you would like for us to go. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, guys. We haven't finished getting things in order from your last visit. We're just walking around. Were you? Well, yeah. It's just that we're really swamped over here, Michael. Oh, and I'm not. Why would you say that? Because I'm having fun. You guys just are working for the weekend, aren't you? I'm working for the week. Sales team, listen to me. This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna up the ante a little bit, literally. Right here, I'm gonna put a crisp $100 bill. The person with the most sales at the end of the day gets to keep the cash. Sound good? Yeah! 70, 80, one, two, three. $83, still a lot of money. And I'm going to, I'm gonna leave it right over here where everybody can see it. I will be taking Jim's clients today because he is not here and out of sight, out of the contest. Let's see who winds up with cash, shall we? You're gonna compete against us. Oh, it is on, Phyllis, it is so on! It is so on! God, this is gonna be fun. Oh. <sighs> Michael is gonna wipe the floor with us. So you have 40 boxes going out, and I will deliver those personally in a Sebring. Very good. Nice doing business with you. Thank you. Yes! Oh, yeah. Read it and weep. Oh, oh, look at that. Look at me, Phyllis. Oh, what is that? That's my sale. TV show, The Office. 
Um, basically, Michael plays the average guy who's, you know, the boss, and he's supposed to pr- be promoting unity. He's supposed to be encouraging the people at his workplace to work together. But instead of doing that, what does he do? He ends up turning them off, right? He makes his competition. He sticks sticky notes to people's faces. All kind of things like that which do not promote unity. The thing is, is that we're going to start our new series talking about being unified, being united, um, being together in purpose and unity and in peace and harmony. What it means as Christians as we live our lives those that way um, in that regard. And we're going to find out that for uh, as we talk about this issue that being like Michael, you know, uh, mocking and sort of challenging people in an inappropriate way, all those things don't bring unity as much as our crazy bosses may think they do. Um, instead, we're going to be talking tonight about what the Bible says about unity. Well, in this movie clip, we see an attempt at unity. We see attempt at harmony. But again, we're going to look at what the Bible says tonight about how we can have peace in our lives and how we can experience real unity with our friends, with our family members, and with our church and with the Lord. So uh, our new series is A Servant Like Jesus. Um, we're going to be doing this series for about four weeks, and we're going to look at how um, Jesus lived his life in such a way that he devoted his life um, as a servant to other people, and how he was willing to serve, which allowed him the ability to minister to other people. Well, um, what we're going to be doing these four weeks is studying Philippians 2. If you've ever been in church before, um, then you've probably heard this passage. It's kind of a famous passage. It's a, it's, I don't know if it's an easy passage, but it's a famous passage. And so we're going to be walking down through Philippians 2. If you've been in church for 50 years, you've heard Philippians 2 before, don't worry. It'll probably be, it'll probably be a little fresh. We'll do it a little differently, uh, but it'll still be focused very much on it. All right, so this is what we're going to do today. Our strategy is this, is we're going to start with a call to peace. That basically Paul says, if we want to be a servant like Jesus, then it's going to require us to have some common ground. There's going to be some principles that we have to put into our lives um, that will bring about a, a situation whereby we have peace and harmony in relationships around us, okay? We cannot go and just start out being a servant like Jesus if our lives um, are on fire. If they're really messed up and everyone is mad with us or we're in constant conflict with people, then being a servant is not really going to solve a lot of problems. So we have to start at the base, but it started at the beginning, and we have to be able to have good, peaceful, harmonious relationships with people, even sometimes those people who don't like us and who don't get along with us as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. All right, we're going to look at Philippians 2, um, verses 1 through 11. We're only going to study the first couple of verses tonight, and we're going to do the rest um, the next couple of weeks. If you want to turn your Bibles, you're welcome to. It'll be up on the big screen as well. Let's read down through Philippians 2. All right, here's what the Bible says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges... He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay? We're just going to touch on, like I said, a couple of verses here at the very beginning, and we're going to work down through the whole passage over um, the next couple of weeks. All right, let's talk about this. For two ideas, we're just going to deal with two ideas um, tonight, because Paul gives us some ideas, some, well, I won't say ideas there, some principles, some conditionals is really the right word. Paul gives us several conditionals that are imperative um, if we are going to have the peace and harmony that's required um, in our lives and in our relationships to actually be a servant to other people. Um, first, the idea that we're going to talk about tonight is that we can live in harmony with others, that we can live in harmonies with, with others. This is really important because for many of us, we get up on Monday, you know, today, Sunday, and tomorrow, we'll get up and we'll go to work, and we get up and we go to work and we go into an environment that oftentimes is very what? disharmonious, right? We go into a work environment where we don't feel appreciated at times or where there's conflict or there's controversy. Maybe we experience the same controversy in our home. Maybe we experience the same controversy in our church. Maybe we experience the same controversy among our friends. When Paul speaks here, he gives the idea um, that he's talking primarily to the church, but what he's talking about is applicable not only for the church, but also your marriage relationship, your family relationships, and your friendship relationships. It may not always carry over into work relationships, but that's okay. Um, be smart about it, and it will carry over. You'll, make, you'll allow it to carry over. We can live in harmony with others. Let's look at what Paul says here. I'm going to just open up the text, and we're going to see what he says. Because basically he gives us four conditionals about what it means to live in peace, live in harmony um, with other people. Um, he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts truly tender and compassionate? In the original language, let me point out something here, depending upon what version of the Bible you have. Paul uses a style which basically says, since you do A, B, C, and D, then you're able to live at peace. A lot of times in the English it translates it as, is there, if there is, that sort of thing. It's really a conditional sentence in the original language. It means since or because. The problem is a lot of times it won't make good English, so they don't put it in the, in the Bible that way. But it really means since or because you have these things. So what he's saying is, is that because you have these conditionals in your life, these are the conditions that will cause peace and harmony to exist. First conditional is this, because we have united with Christ and we follow with him. That if we want to experience real peace and real harmony in our lives, that we must be united with Christ and we must be willing to follow him. Now I know I, I'm not unaware that we live here in the San Francisco Bay Area, right? I know San Jose's bigger, but somehow San Francisco's more famous, so it's called the San Francisco Bay Area, right? Instead of the San Jose Bay Area. And we live in San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm well aware that peace, love, and harmony is all about, you know, San Francisco circa 1967 and that sort of thing, right? But the, the problem and the challenge is, as we talk about what it means to live in harmony or peace with other people around us, my experience, my opinion, is that 1967 doesn't exactly render itself into the peace and the harmony that the Bible's talking about. Basically, when the Bible talks about being at peace or being in a harmonious relationship with another person, it doesn't mean that we're all just getting along. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of conflict. It doesn't mean that we don't really like each other, but we're tolerating each other. It doesn't really even mean that we just, you know, sort of love each other in a goofy sort of way, but we're really not honest about our feelings. It means that we each have different personalities, different perspectives on life, but at the same time that because of a common ground, our union in Jesus Christ, that it makes us have the ability to relate together and have a common ground on which we can build peace, on which we can have harmonious relationship. You know, I did it in the 
first two services, but this service is less people, but you still get the idea. If you look around for a moment at all the people here, okay, go ahead, don't be shy. You look around at all the people here. Everyone here is very different, right? I mean, there is some who are young. There are some who are old. There are some who are of one ethnicity, some of a different ethnicity, some who are women, some who are men, some who are rich, and some who are poor, right? But the thing is, is that it is impossible, it is improbable, it is unlikely that we as a group of people would ever get together in the same room, in the same building, without a significant common ground drawing us together. I mean, when you think about it, if you look at all the services and all the people who come, there's such a wide range that it is incredible that this incredibly disparate and different group of people would ever get together. But it is because we are united in Christ that brings us together. It is our common bond. And that common bond is greater than any other thing that we can have. Let me give you an example. When, when people come uh, to me for marriage counseling, uh, you know, I do pastoral counseling, um, which is more of a short term. I always like to say I'm the EMT, you know, just get the body warm, get, it, get it, the blood flowing, that sort of thing. Send them off to someone, you know, who can counsel them for years and that sort of thing if that's what they need. But um, when, when people come for, for marriage counseling, um, one of the problems that often will come into play is that if they come in and you have husband and wife, and the wife says, I'll pick on the guys for a minute, the wife says, you know, I really care about raising the kids in the church. You know, I go to church on Sunday, and I, I want the kids to, to know the Lord and to follow him, and that be the most important things in their lives. And then you ask the husband, and, the, and I ask, you know, what, where are you at and all this? And he's like, well, I don't care as long as I get to watch football on Sunday, right? Or you could go the other way around, and, you know, because we do have guys who come and wives won't come, right? And the guys come and they say, Pastor, I've, you know, I've, I've hit the, the bad, bad spot in my life, and I really have given my life over to the Lord. And then, then the wives say, well, I don't care about that stuff. Just let me knit on Sunday and sleep in. That's all I really want to do. As a pastoral counselor, what ability do I have to bring those people together? Not much, right? Why don't I have much ability? To, why is there not much I can do in that situation? B because the problem is they have no common ground. There's no common vision. That there's no you know, agreement on the way this should work. And so what ends up have to happen is that either one of them has to just relent and give in to the other person because they're tired of hearing the other person nag at them, or, or maybe they sometimes unprofessionally, the counselor will take sides and tell one of them they got to do A or one of them they got to do B, you know, or, or a whole variety of other things that ultimately involves basically one stepping over the authority of the other one and just saying this is the way it's going to be. Or they do what? They just go their separate ways, which is why we have lots of single people who come to BBC on Sunday um, who are married and their spouses are just nowhere to be found. The reason is because there's no common ground there. And I don't say that to hurt anybody's feelings if, if somebody is in that situation. But to say that the, the problem is, is that unity then becomes very difficult without a common ground. If there's no common ground to build on, then you really cannot build unity. This is the reason why the Bible tells us if you're still single, as I know some of you are here tonight, if you're single, don't marry someone who's not a believer. Because there is no common ground on which to build your marriage or which to build your life on. It's not just going to work out okay. There needs to be some common ground there. I see it over and over and over again. People argue with me all the time. Oh, well, you don't know, Pastor. We're different. Um, we'll get along just fine. But it, it never happens that way. I mean, well, I say never. But the percentages are very, very strongly uh, not in your favor. So the thing is, is that when we come together, our first conditional of being united in relationships with other people is the fact that we are united in relationship with Christ, right? 
I mean, there are some of you here that you may not see the world the way I do. You may not particularly like the way I do things. You may not even like the way that I run DVC, although I don't hear a lot of complaints about that. But, you know, whatever the issue is, but because you love the Lord and I love the Lord, we're able to put aside some differences. And we have a common ground that's more important than probably any other common ground in the world. Let's assume for a second. Let me give two more examples. Let's assume for a second that you are in high school. Remember, think back in high school, and you always wanted to be, like, I'll pick on Wes for a minute. Wes always, when he was in high school, always wanted to be in the chess club. I don't know if you knew that or not, right? So I always wanted to be in the chess club. Of course, I'm picking on him. He didn't. I don't know if he wanted to be in the chess club or not. But let's say he wanted to be in the chess club. And, he, and I was in high school, too, and I really wanted to be in the chess club as well. So we, would, we became friends because we were both in the chess club together, right? That commonality you know, allowed a, a certain measure of friendship to grow, and we became friends. But if one day I said, you know, I don't like chess. I hate chess. Chess is dorky. I'm not going to do chess anymore. Are Wes and I going to remain friends? Well, sometimes, but largely no. Largely we drift away because there is no common ground. Maybe there are other things that we could find in our relationship, although in high school that doesn't really work. Um, maybe there's other things we could find, but largely no. We drift away from each other because the common ground is really what matters. One more example before we move on. My wife and I, we disagree on a lot of things. We do. We're two different people. We have two different points of view. She, she disagrees with me, and I know she's always wrong when she disagrees with me, but that's the way it is, right? Well, she's not here, so I can say what I want, right? Tonight, anyway. Tonight before I go home, anyway, I can say what I want. So the thing is, is that we disagree, but it is the common ground, the fact that she loves the Lord first, and I love God first, and we are united with him first, that allows the problems in our marriage not to be so great as they might could be. It allows the problems in our lives and our marriages and our relationship with our family to not be so great because we have that basis, we have that common ground with which to build. Because we have united with Christ and follow him. Paul says this is really critical for us that if we want to be united in relationships with other people, there has to be a common ground. And of course, we know that the most important common ground is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because that will allow, I mean a real one, that will allow two people of very different backgrounds and di very different opinions to be able to come together, work together for the same purpose and the same goal. Secondly, because we receive comfort from God's love. This is really important because a lot of times we, we sort of go to church. In fact, a lot of people on Easter, a lot of people come in, they go to church, and they've done their church thing for the year, and they think, well, you know, I'm a Christian because that's what, if, if I die, I'm not going to check Buddhist or Muslim. I guess I'll check Christian, right? So I'm a Christian, right? But no, they're not really a Christian at all. That's not, that has nothing to do with being a Christian, whatever you check on the box. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with being a Christian. And, and so they come in at Easter, and, and, the, and they do their, the Easter thing, and they get their religion for, for a year, and they don't realize that being a follower of Jesus and making that commitment, and which allows peace and harmony to be established in relationships with us, actually is a little bit more work than that, right? I mean, there's actually some more issues that are going to come into play. One of them is because we receive comfort from God's love. We live in a very ugly, broken world. If you don't believe that, I have a bridge I'll sell you in Brooklyn. It's very nice. You can put your name on it. I'll sell it to you real cheap. You know, that's a joke, by the way. Maybe if you, if you for those of you who don't, somebody smile, some of you think it's a bad joke, maybe. For those of you who don't know, basically that means that there is a bridge. I don't own it. I'm going to sell it, Brooklyn Bridge. I'm going to sell it to you, even though I don't own it, because you're 
foolish enough to buy it from me. That's what that joke means, okay? So, so the thing is, is that when we, when we look at this, we think about it, and, and we live in this really broken world, and, and we, we think that if we can just sort of make it on our own, that somehow that's going to be good enough. But the Bible tells us, and Paul is saying here, listen, that one of the conditionals to being at peace with other people is to have God's love in our lives. That it is not simply enough for us to do it on our own, but that, that as, as the Bible says here, that we, since we receive comfort from God's love. Now, this is hard for us because, again, we live in a world where people are not very comforting. The movie clip, Michael, he's not very comforting, or he's comforting in an inappropriate manner, right, if you watch the show sometimes, right? And, and so we have plenty of people who either want to be comforted in an inappropriate way or just not comforting at all. But the Bible tells us that God desires to comfort us with his love once we have made a decision to follow him. Listen, when we read the Bible, we've probably all heard of this, regardless of your first time at church or your millionth time at church. We all know this, this passage, right? Our Father who art in heaven, right? We've all heard that before, um, part of the Lord's Prayer. But do you know that actually Jesus doesn't address God as Father? What does he say there? Does anybody know? He doesn't say Father. That would be the wrong translation in English. What would the real translation be? Well, it'd be Daddy. Or really, Dada. That's what, what you know, my kids call me when they're too small you know, to really say Daddy very well. They say Dada, right? And, and that's, the, that's what he uses, Abba there, which was their version of Dada. Abba was their version of Dada. And what Jesus is saying there is that God loves us so much that he is like our daddy and that he loves us in such a great deal and desires to comfort us to such a great degree that when we have anything that's a problem in our lives, that when we have a lack of peace, when we have a lack of harmony in our lives, that when we go to God, God is able to restore and to give us the love that we need. My son, Wyatt, is three years old, okay? And so being three... Uh, he is very prone to bumping his head, smashing his feet, you know, uh, kicking his toe, you know, all that sort of thing. And when he bumps his head or he, he stubs his toe or whatever, what does he do immediately after doing that? He cries, right? That's the first step. That's, that's the thing he does first. He bursts out crying. He's three. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't know. Um, and then immediately after he cries, what does he then do? Runs to mama. Very good, right? You guys are smarter than both the other services. Very good. He runs to mama. Okay, now, up until about two months ago, he would run past me to go to mama. I mean, I'd be like, you know, and he'd be like, you know, right past me. Daddy, he did, you know, dada doesn't matter, right? Just run straight to mama. Now, if mama's a little farther away, I guess I'll go get a hug from dada. But what he wants is, he wants to be comforted. He wants to feel love because of the pain that he has in his life. And he naturally does what? He naturally gravitates and grabs hold of his mom, right? The Bible tells us that if, when we try to seek to have peace and harmony in our relationship, that when we are hurt in our relationship, that what we should do is to be able to go to God and go dada and just wrap our arms around God and allow his comforting love take away the pain and hurt in our lives. When we do that, we're not always on edge, and when we do that, we are able to have relationship with other people that exist more in the category of peace and harmony than exists in the category of frustration and hatred or anger, right? Because we receive comfort from God's love. These are two of the conditionals. Number one, that if we want peace and harmony in our lives, that we must be united 
in our relationship with Christ with the other person. If the other person has no common ground with you, it will be very difficult for you to have peace and harmony with them. And in fact, the Bible basically says, if you have a mean old boss at work who is, uh, hates God and he's said it and that sort of thing, that you're going to have a really hard time having peace with that person because there is no common ground with which to build on. There is none. And so it's going to be very difficult in that situation. You are a stranger in a strange land who is ministering and working for someone who does not see the world the way you do at all. Um, and, but if that person has a relationship with God through Jesus, then what happens is, is that when we, go, uh, when we go and we try to have peace and harmony in our relationship with that person, that God's comforting love is a really important part there. Thirdly, Paul gives two more conditionals here. He says, Are you, he says, any fellowship together in the Spirit. And what he's saying there, basically, is that if, since, because we know God, we allow Him to comfort us with His grand desire to love us, that we also, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, that this is another one of those conditionals that allows us to have uh, relationships, to have our lives defined by relationships that are full of peace and harmony rather than full of anger and discord and frustration and hate. Well, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to, to live within us? Well, let me just throw this up here. If a person has committed their life to God through Jesus, then God allows his spirit to be with that person on an intimate level. Um, that's basically what the Holy Spirit does and what he, what he does in relationship to us. I, does is not really the right word, and I'll tell you why in a second. When we become a believer, God's spirit instead of just being out there, hanging out with the Lord, hanging out with God, comes and dwells with us, within us, beside us, alongside of us, whatever word you want to use there. He basically hangs out with us. I mean, I know that's very vernacular, but it's the truth. That's, that's probably one of the better translations today in slang English for what God's Holy Spirit does. It actually is with us all the time. Who is the Holy Spirit, and why does Paul make this, why does the Bible make this a conditional for having good relationships with other people. Well, if you've ever watched crazy uh, preacher guys on TV, which I have, you would get the sense um, that the Holy Spirit is what? All about power, right? Because you see them knocking people down and, you know, the you know, power of this and, you know, it's like the lightning bolts or they got electricity in their hands and that sort of thing. And that's showbiz. That's not really the Bible. The, the Bible does use it's uh, actually what it is is a little bit of truth and a whole lot of non-truth and that's why it it sells a lot of books and sells a lot of videotapes the bible actually uses a word to describe the holy spirit one word that is a noun that actually defines the holy spirit it's like his title who he is if you could just put him down in one word like if you put me down in one word i might be man uh, maybe father you know husband pastor these are words that would be used nouns that would be used to describe me what is noun does the bible use to describe the holy spirit not an adjective but what noun does it use to describe the holy spirit anybody anybody want to guess some of you know it. comforter right that the the holy spirit is a comforter who comes alongside of us right that's the one word the bible used to describe the holy spirit so here's what's happening right we're going through life right we're going through life and you know we have friends we have spouses hopefully just one spouse, I mean, uh, thus in general, right? We have spouses, we have friends, we have other people that we worship here with in the church, right? And they, they love God, right? And uh, we have a conflict, but they love God. And, and, and you know what? The, uh, we're, we're, we're not emotionally constipated. We're able to go back to God. We're able to feel his love. The Holy Spirit comes in and does what? 
is sort of the comforter, the encourager to say, look, you can do this. You can have, you know, I know you've been hurt a million times before, but you can have peace in your relationship, right? The Holy Spirit, yeah, you know, an adjective is power. It's one of the 10 or 15 adjectives in the Bible that describes the Holy Spirit. There's an aspect of power there, right? But more than anything, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the one who allows and guides us into better relationship with other people and better relationship with God. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is to do what? It's to help us see who God is, know God better, to communicate well with God, and to make sure that we stay focused on God, to bring about a sort of comfort or a sort of encouragement or and, and there's really no English word. I keep, oh, I just want to do that. You know that song, The Wind Beneath My Wings? It's really annoying by Bette Midler, whatever, right? And very, very non-masculine, right? But it's sort of that way, right? That the Holy Spirit is just there to, if you love Bette Midler, I apologize in advance. But it just gives you that sense of that's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. The Holy Spirit is to come along underneath us, beside us, prop us up, and allow us to have good relationships with other people, good relationships, intimate, peaceful, harmonious relationships with other people, because our hearts remain open to God's plan. Now this one, you know, I could say like the first one's most important, and then it goes down to the least important, but then I'm going to flip it on its head and say this one's the most important, and it goes all the way back to the other one. So it's kind of like backwards and forwards. Finally, since your hearts are tender and compassionate, in order for us to have peace and harmony in our relationships with other people, especially in our church, in our families, the two most critical places, family first, church second, most critical places, requires us to do what? To have a heart that is a little bit soft, a little bit broken, a little bit contrite, a little bit pliable, a little bit willing to go through some change, and a little bit willing to be open to other people. What happens over time with a person who is unwilling to see other people's point of view, a person who is unwilling to be open, a person who is unwilling to love, really, is where it gets down to. What happens is their heart becomes what? Hard, right? Have, do you know anybody? And, and, I mean, if you think about it long enough, I'm sure you do, because there's probably lots of people, but someone that you've known for several years, and maybe, like, when you met them, they were, like, loving, and they were cool, or whatever word you want to describe, and then something happened in their lives, or, or maybe something didn't happen in their lives, and they became very cynical and very jaded, and their heart became harder and harder and harder, right? Do you like to hang out with hard-hearted people? No, no, right? Yes, I agree. No, we don't like to hang out with hard-hearted people. Why? Have you ever seen two... Oh, that's the heart of stone, right? What happens when you take one heart of stone and another heart of stone, and you smack them together when there's an attempt at a relationship or conflict or anything else? Right, crack, that's right, smash not fun it's not enjoyable you know let me give an example from church and then i'll give an example from from um from real life um oh i've this is my fourth church i pastored and um you know i've been a part of churches before that and every now and again lots of times some churches i've been in people leave all the time they get mad they get frustrated they don't like it because the walls are green and they're supposed to be blue or whatever it is and they get mad and they throw a fit and they leave and you know what every time they do that I'm never sitting there thinking, man, this person's heart is really, you know, soft and broken, and, and I don't understand why this happened, right? How is it? It's their heart is always very hard. I mean, 99% of the time, at least, it's always because our, we allow our hearts to get hard, right? 
we sit in the back of the pew and we stew about this and that. We don't like it. The pastor's wearing brown shoes and why can't he wear black shoes? And, you know, uh, uh, Ortensia didn't say hi to me when she came in tonight or whatever the case is, right? And we, get, and we just continue to get more and more jaded and more and more angry and our hearts become hardened, right? Our spouses don't do what we want and so our hearts become so hardened that we just say, you know what? It's easier just to have a heart of stone than a heart that's a flesh, a heart of that's hard as a rock than a heart that's soft, right? And our world definitely would rather us have a heart of stone because we go out on Monday, we got to, you know, put on our game face. We got to, you know, get gird up our loins to go to battle in the workplace, right? Um, in the hopes that, you know, we'll eat them before they eat us, right? But the problem is, is that that doesn't work very well in our relationships with our family and with our church because those are the people with whom what? We should feel God's love with, right? We have a common ground, right? First of all, we have a common ground. We should feel the comfort of God's love with, and the Holy Spirit should be there encouraging both of us to work together and to be a part of the same vision and the same purpose. It starts or it ends or both, though, with a heart that is soft and pliable, a heart that's, that's open, willing to change, a heart that is not of stone, a heart that God can speak into and change very easily. You know, we, we get very cynical in our lives. We get very jaded in, it, in our lives, and it makes it very difficult. Again, when someone comes in for pastoral counseling, as the example I gave, you know, 15 minutes ago at the beginning of the message, when someone comes in and they say, you know what, pastor, my wife and I were not getting along at all, and, you know, they may, at that point, maybe they do have common ground, but if one of their hearts are completely turned to stone, what can I do? Some of you will say, and I don't want to get personal here tonight, but some people who come to BBC will say, you know, Pastor, I don't understand because my spouse will not, they don't care about anything that I care about. You know, we've grown apart. Uh, they, you know, they used to at least make a pretense to go to church with me and talk to the kids about what's important, and now they do nothing with the kids or they do nothing with me, and they say, what can I do? And I say, pray for a miracle because you need a miracle, something Tragic, unfortunately, is usually what it is to happen in their lives to break the heart of stone. Because with a heart of stone, uh, the only thing you can do is hope that something will crush it and break it and rip it open to be a flesh and be soft again. And that takes something that's usually beyond just talking about it or working through it. Here's the thing I'm saying to you, is that if you want to have peace and harmony in your relationship, these four conditionals must be true. You, number one, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. That's number one. Number two, you have to be willing to have his love work into your life. Number three, um, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and comfort you and show you how to have a relationship with other people because you, you don't know them and you've got to figure out how, how to be a servant like Jesus to them. And lastly, you've got to not allow your heart to get hard. You've got to keep your heart soft and pliable. And you know what? That's not easy. I say this every Sunday night, almost, I feel like. Every Sunday morning, I say this. This is not easy. If it was easy, we'd all do it, and everybody would be happy, and it'd be wonderful, right? But it's not. It's hard to do this. That's why Paul says to run the race so as to win it, um, so that we make sure that we end up in life where God wants us to, rather than ended up cynical, jaded, angry, upset, disharmonious, not at peace with the people around us. Two implications this real quickly before we finish up tonight is that we must show our desire for peace. Look, if we have these four conditionals in our lives, we must show our desire for peace. Then Paul writes, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other 
loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. That if we have these four conditions in our life, then it is not enough for us to just sit back and relax, but we want to be able to demonstrate peace and harmony in our relationships with other people. They need it. We need to help them. We need to show it to them. We could start by having the same mind and the same love, right? Um, I know it says that loving one another, but the idea in the original language is basically the idea um, that our love, that we have similar love for each other, that our love is based in the same way, on the same thing, that it is a similar or related love because we love God first and we love them and it's allowing us to be of similar mind and similar heart. You know, uh, Noelle doesn't like me to share this story, but uh, I've been sharing it all today and she's not here so I can keep on sharing it. Uh, but when we first got married, uh, quite a few years ago now, she, um, I remember uh, this is like month three, and we were having some, some problems um, and some disagreements, and I don't know if she was talking to my mom or her mom, but I overheard her say something to the effect of, well, our marriage would be great if Douglas just listened to everything that I said and did everything that I told him. Well, of course it would. <laughs> Of course it would. If I just submitted to her every will and whim and did everything she wanted and just was exactly like her, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it would be a tyrannical regime, right? And sometimes she tells me, you know, our lives would be better if I was a tyrant and the marriage just worked like that. And I said, yeah, well, except that where's my, what do I do there, you know? And I know that she's the mom, so occasionally she has to, you know, lay down martial law and, you know, in the home. And so that's fine. I, I understand how that works. But, I, I mean, the truth is, though, is that, when we are trying to have relationship with another person, whether it be marriage or friendship or someone that we're working with in the church, these type of relationships, we don't solve them as Christians because we do what? Uh, be, become a tyrant. We don't solve them because we, we overpower the other person or we nag the other person into submission, right? None of those things work. The Bible says that because we have this unit, unit, unity, in Christ, because of God's love and His Spirit working in our lives, and because our, so our hearts are soft, that what happens? That we should be of the same heart and the same mind, that we should love the other person, and that we should work towards having similar love and similar viewpoints, and that that will enable us to have a, a, a relationship of peace and a relationship that is based in harmony and will allow us to serve each other. Lastly, real quickly here tonight, is this, um, oh, let me just mention this. The Bible is clear that the basis of our love must be God. This is what makes any type of unselfish love even possible. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, without God, there's no way I could really unselfishly love my wife. There's no way. I'm just way too selfish. And I'll tell you right now, she is way too selfish too. Definitely. <laughs> there's no way, right? Without God, it is not possible for us to love truly another person in unselfish way. He is the only thing that makes that happen. And the beauty of it is, by virtue of that fact, is it is the only way we can really enjoy peace or harmony in relationships with other people. The result will be desiring the same purpose, that when we are on the same page, we have a common ground, the, 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 the love of God and the Holy Spirit is working our lives, our hearts are soft, that we will want to be on the same page. We will naturally gravitate towards the same way. We won't care so much whether one person likes red and one person likes blue, whether one person thinks the pastor should have brown shoes or black shoes, whether one person thinks the kid should have Duplo blocks or Lego blocks. It won't matter anymore. We'll be able to talk about it, and we'll have a similar purpose, which is we'll want to raise our kids this way. We'll want our church to reach out to people. We'll want our friendships to be good, and, and we'll glorify God, and we'll be uh, helpful to us rather than harmful and, and tearing each other apart and gossiping about each other. 
will be of the same purpose and the same mind and desire that God's will will be true in my life as it is in your life as it is in your life. My prayer for us is that that will be the desire that we have, the desire for peace and harmony in our relationships. Let's pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, let me just give an opportunity here as we go to the Lord tonight. Maybe you're here for the first time at BBC. Maybe you've been here for years. And you know what? Tonight you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I have never really committed my life to God. I, I hear what the pastor's saying, but I, I've never actually, I can't have a common ground with anyone that's a believer because I, I'm not a believer myself. I've never really made that commitment. If you're here tonight and you want to say for the first time that, that, I, that you want to know God, um, just lift up your hand with all heads bowed, eyes closed. Anyone here, first time, want to make that decision? Anyone here tonight? All right, then for the rest of us here tonight, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would enable us to live our lives full of peace and harmony. Father, that we would be united with those who are closest to us. Father, that we would be of the same mind and same purpose with our family and with our church. Lord, that we would really experience your love and your grace and your spirit in our lives. And that above all else, that we would, uh, that we would not become hard-hearted, but that we would seek you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Our hope today um, is that we can live in harmony and peace. And that's true. We talked about that tonight. Um, that's our hope, but it is also a reality that we have as well as followers of Jesus. All right. A life group moment that we have tonight. Um, is how can we make sure we are making the most of our fellowship with the Holy Spirit? We're going to be talking about, about that in our life groups this week. If you haven't had a chance to get into a life group, you need to do it. We have about 14 possible life groups that are available. I see some of you who are life groupless. I see some life groupless people. I also see some people who are involved in life groups. And uh, so if you haven't got involved, you need to do that. Why? Because you cannot grow spiritually coming to church. The best you can grow is to be challenged. To grow spiritually requires a little more depth than, than Sunday evening or Sunday morning can give you. So we have lots of great life groups. Go get involved in one. If you, have like a if you want a recommendation from me, I'll help you in that regard 